Richards with Nancy Richards. Hello, it is with me, Nancy Richards, here on SFM. Nice to have you with us at the start of a brand new week, nice and fresh down here in Cape Town. And the team here in Cape Town is, in fact, Dead Skippers and Hazel Makazini and you, so hopefully you'll stay with us right through until 2 o'clock. So what we have on the show today, a little bit of health, business and development, all of which are well linked in as much as without your health you really can't develop anything or be in business at all. So how important is that? Very. So first up, Mani Gingi. It's an organisation, we've heard about it before here on Otherwise, but what they've done is link up with the Swedish outfit to grow a women's innovation trade fair. It launched last week with a sort of multi-pronged approach to health, but we're going to be hearing more from a trustee and from an organiser about the uh, affair that's coming up around about this time next year with a couple of milestones in between. So, pin back your ears. That's all we have first up, and then in the other half, developing women in business. Coca-Cola is expanding their 5 by 20 Women's Economic Empowerment Initiative. So what is this initiative? Well, we'll find out. And then another growth plan has been put together by Goldman Sachs with their 10,000 Women Initiative. And we're going to be talking to one of the graduates to find out how it's worked for her to grow her as an individual and to grow her business. And it seems that it's done very, very well. And finally, well, it seems that women may be growing their own businesses and developing their own self-esteem, but not their salaries. And in the last few years, the gender pay gap has seemingly widened. We'll get the details on that and hopefully some answers to the question, why? So that's what we've got lined up. And uh, if you'd like to join us at any stage, do. Otherwise, um, you can call us on 0892102010. And if you want to contact us by email, you can do that too. Otherwise, at SAFM. Let me just have a quick look at what's news. Uh, Cesar Kelly Makumalo, President Jacob Zuma's first wife, celebrated her 73rd birthday over the weekend with a surprise party. Nice. And she talked, uh, uncharacteristically gave an interview, and she talked about the long relationship she'd had with the president. They married back in 1973. That was just two years before President Jacob Zuma went into exile, returning after the unbanning of the ANC in 1990. So there must have been very long, lonely years. But she said she waited for him, and now she has no regrets. Interestingly, she also spoke out against rape, in particular rape against older women, saying that granny rapists should be locked up for good. The president was unable to attend her party, but sent apologies via his younger sister. And bad news for rape victims is that police stations, it seems, are running short on the DNA kits which are used to collect forensic evidence from adult females. In some cases, they're having to use expired kits which are uh, negating their effectiveness, so that seems to be a bit of a setback. Talking of rape kits and older people, interesting to see that Professor Sean Davidson, who you'll know was charged a little while ago for giving his terminally ill mother morphine, but he was also behind the team at the University of the Western Cape Laboratory that helped develop the DNA rape kit. What a busy man, what a, a useful man. He also, back in 2010, established Dignity South Africa. That's a group lobbying for change to the law, allowing for assisted dying. And he's also the founder of the Innocence South Africa Project, working to exonerate people wrongly convicted of crimes. Now, there's a man who's uh, determined to make a difference, eh? And as you probably heard over the weekend, I was a bit shocked by this statistic, South African prisons are filling up fast with mothers and daughters who've killed their male abusers. The Minister of Correctional Services, Sibusiso Ndebele, says that there's been an increase in the number of women serving life sentences for this crime. It seems to me to be a bit of a double injustice and reflecting an even greater need for the services of NGOs supporting women suffering domestic violence so they don't have to get to that sort of extreme. Maybe you've got thoughts on that, and if you have, why don't you let us know? What do you think? What are we to do about the women, increasing numbers of women going into prison because of uh, having taken out their abusive partners? Pop us an email. We're at otherwise at safm.co.za, or you can find us on Facebook. It's otherwise on SAFM. And just on the debate about female leadership in the church, interesting, an interview at a crucial time when a new pope is to be chosen with the senior cardinal Leonardo Sandri, who said that the Roman Catholic Church must open itself up to women in the next pontificate, giving them more leadership positions in the Vatican. He said that one of the greatest challenges facing the church was to try and win back those suffering from loss of faith. The role of women in the world, he says, is increased, and this is something the church has to ask itself about. And lastly, well, here's one on the froth front, I suppose you could say. In the UK, a woman, inspired by her six-year-old daughter's drawing, has made an edible wedding dress from 17 tiers of sponge cake 
22 kilograms of sugar paste icing and 900 grams of royal icing and hundreds and hundreds of little sugar pearls. Well, the dress is to be unveiled at the National Wedding Show in Birmingham, but heaven help the bride who chooses to wear it won't do anything for her waistline, I would say. And just lastly on dresses, in here in Cape Town at the Design in Darbour, Gavin Rogers' pebble dress was voted the most beautiful object at the event at the close of the show yesterday. So there you go. If you want to find out a little bit more, just Google Gavin Rogers and pebble dress and I suspect it will come popping up. You're listening to Otherwise. They stay with us. SABC One launches the after party on the 11th of February, midnight to 5 a.m. Watch the freshest music videos. Check out the hottest parties in Zanzi and the coolest presenters on the after party. Monday to Sunday, midnight to 5 a.m. Only on SABC One, Zanzi Folk Show. Great shot, eh? Now let's get down to business. I'm listening. I really need to reduce my operational costs. Well, you should sign up to ESCOM's rebate program for business. That's what we did to save money on our electricity bill. Start saving. Sign up to ESCOM's energy efficiency rebate program. It's an initiative designed to provide any size business with rebates for switching to energy efficient technologies. Call 0860-375-66 or visit www.escom.co.za forward slash IDM for more information. It pays to switch. This is when Marcellus and you all are listening to and enjoying SAFM. Stay with us. Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Otherwise, it is Talking Women here with me, Nancy Richards, on SAFM. Talking of women and their development, I think, uh, pretty much throughout the show. We're going to start off with the Women's Innovation Trade Fair. Well, at this stage, it's a vision and a plan. It's going to be realized in 2014. But the journey towards it began last week at an event hosted jointly by Mani Gingi and their Swedish partners, the LAN or LAN, LAN, LAN Development Consultants. Well, it was, uh, it was all started, sort of founded around a, a panel discussion, which was in this particular instance around women's health, and it included input from no fewer than six health professionals. So what an interesting event that must have been. Certainly would have been beneficial because, as I said earlier, without your health, you are nothing. But in the studio with me, I have a trustee uh, and uh, a steering committee member. I have the trustee, Dorothy Van Horn. Dot. Hi, Dot. Nice to have you with us. And uh, conference organizer, Gwyneth Matthews. Hi, Gwyneth. Hi. Nice to have you with us, too. I'm very interested to hear about this project because it seems as if it's been very um, long in coming and well planned because it's not just a quick flash in the pan. Nobody's put this together in a couple of months. With, um, is it the Land Development Consultants, a, a Swedish partnership? Correct. I think the Women's Innovation Trade Fair is something that started back in the 80s in Sweden and it's gone all over the world and now at last it's coming to South Africa. Dot, give us the background then. How did it, how did it come to be that we're getting it here in South Africa? We're very fortunate that our founder, Lillian Massambenza... She's of Mani Gingi, isn't Correct. She and Karen Land from Land Development Consulting met and ignited this possibility of us being able to run an event in 2014. She is our liaison with the Chamber Trade in Sweden, and so we're fortunate to have this partnership with the Swedish Chamber of Commerce. They are running a one-year partnership with us where they provide us with funding to help us with skills development of the women in our communities. And as a result of that partnership, we have an opportunity to showcase the impact that we've made. One of the benefits of being able to showcase this impact is that we're able to include a variety of other women um, across all business sectors, and it's our attempt to try and merge the public and the private sector in an opportunity for women across the board to network. Yes, women across the board, I, I believe that it's uh, you know, starting at women who are uh, growing vegetable gardens right through to executive level. So we really are talking women right across the board here. So I'll come back to the Women's Innovation Trade Fair. Can you just explain that? What does it mean? I'm, I'm looking at skills development showcasing, but what does it really mean? Nancy, the original name was Women's Ideas Trade Fair, which came from the Swedish concept, and we decided to change it, uh, mostly because ideas for us aren't implemented. Mm. Um, And as I think you know about Mani Gingi, we're very action-orientated. So the difference with innovation is that it's taking creative ideas and it's actually implementing them. So that's some of the background to the name. 
Uh, we have a tagline, or our vision is that we're choosing to ignite economic possibilities for women. So as a hope out of the event, um, we'll have some opportunities to, for people to really make a sustainable change. And that should be through opening up new channels, building relationships, and encouraging these networks between both the public and the private sector and women across different scopes. Moving back even further, or sort of taking an even bigger picture, I think the theme is the role of social entrepreneurship in women's economic empowerment. We always have to sort of unpack these (laughs) phrases. So so that means that we're looking at increasing amounts of of social entrepreneurs to get women up and off the ground, which is exactly what Lillian of Marnie Gingi is all about. That's right. Put us in, but we have spoken to Lillian before, but just put us in the picture with Marnie Gingi for those who don't know it. So Amani Gengi, in principle, is a women's empowerment organization, really at the grassroots level, trying to empower women with skills and tools to help them put food on the table for their families. And there are three different arms to the organization. The first arm is our social responsibility arm that focuses on early learning centers and has a great uh, emphasis on education. The second arm is our flagship arm, which looks at environment and nutrition. And so these are the community gardens and our own Manigingi nursery that uh, we provide the community gardens with seedlings and, and vegetables. And the third arm is the enterprise development arm. So that is building capacity for women in the community, teaching them new skills so that they're able to make products or provide services so that they're able to put food on the table for families. Not surprising then that Sweden were quite uh, keen to join up with you because you've already got this up and running. It's not like they were sort of putting it, you know, into into sort of a right from the word go. This is quite a... A workable project. Yes. Is it, is it just in the Western Cape or is it countrywide? Predominantly thing? in the Western Cape. Okay. We have one or two footprints outside of the Western Cape, but our most effective models are based here. So having said, what, if you could just tell us about the launch that happened last week. I think it was number one in a series of four events leading up to the trade fair. Gwyneth, maybe you'd like to pick us up on this one. Um, yeah. the, the event last week was, um, yeah, it was last week. Wasn't yeah. Gosh, losing track of time here. was all to do with health issues and nutrition. What was it all about? Well, the launch was twofold. There was the actual launch of the Women's Innovation Trade Fair, and the second part of the event was the health discussion. Um, and it's doing exactly what um, Dot was referring to earlier, is taking and identifying these social problems and finding innovative solutions to fix them. Um, so it's not the, the conventional sort of talk shop where we come and we discuss issues. It's taking social entrepreneurship and finding the, the solutions and making sure that the participants or the those affected by the social issues have the actual skills to solve their problems going forward. Um, the first health discussion was in the form of a panel discussion. We had three um, Swedish health experts, two from, from the 1.6 Million Club and the Karolinska Institute. We also had Dr. Susan Forslu and Dr. Mary Sieber as our South African panelists and the uh, following that we had a coordinated discussion um, with just some questions and answers from the from the attendees mm-hmm. and who was the audience who were the attendees um, it was media there were corporate um, partners and potential corporate sponsors and exhibitors um, stakeholders of Mahani Gingi um, our VIP guests were um, Denise Robertson the Deputy Shadow Minister of Health and also the Swedish Ambassador Andel, Anders Hachelberg Difficult question to ask you here, really, because, I mean, there are so many issues and it's not really fair to put you on the spot, but what are the big issues facing facing women health-wise? I mean, what what were the big things that came up? The big issues um, with the health discussion were nutrition, Mm. heart disease, and and diabetes. Mm. Those were the issues that were covered at the the health discussion. Were there any solutions? And was the Department of Health there? Nancy, we had a representative from the Department of Health. Mm. Um, Having Denise Robinson there as the Deputy Shadow Minister of Health obviously gave uh, gave us some exposure there as well. Fortunately, the speakers that uh, we had had sufficient time at the end to answer some questions and give some very practical solutions to how can you prevent um, coronary disease mm. and particularly where can you start now as far as changing your nutrition to avoid diabetes. Mary Sieber was a fantastic speaker and really brought it down to, to the ground level um, and I think that uh, those who were there found 
her presentation of particular value. It would almost be nice to have, have, have had the whole thing videoed and sort of show it right around the country. I'm, I'm sure it was enormously valuable. I mean, it had some very top names. So. Is, is such a thing going to happen? With we did have it videoed. Okay. And I know that we're talking to our PR company about how we can give it most exposure. Yeah, absolutely. One of our main aims for the conference in 2014 is to try and be as inclusive as possible. So we will be advertising across a broad variety of social media and at the conference itself we'll have an opportunity for people both locally and internationally to be part of the event. Yeah, yeah it's all about access of information, isn't it? <laughs> that was the first one of the events. There are three more coming up between now and March 2014 when the innovation will happen. Gwyneth, o- over to you because I think, t- tell us, talk us through the other events. Um, the other topics, the first topic under the over sort of arching theme of social entrepreneurship was health and that was done last week. Um, the three remaining topics are social justice, education, and then food and environment security. The next lead-up event will take place in May. We'll publish the dates for the actual events on our website shortly. Um, Social justice will take place in May, education in August, and food and environment security in November this year. And the idea around the lead-up events is that we get conversation and dialogue going, igniting debate around these issues, so that come the event in 2014, they will already on the road to to having um, these agenda items on mm. the program. Mm, yes, a material gathered or you know, issues that have been gathered and uh, solutions perhaps that have been gathered will be very interesting. So the next one is education, which is huge. Um, who's going to be speaking and what will the topics be? Any idea? We haven't um, confirmed speakers yet. That's going to happen in the next two weeks or so. Um, one of the topics we were looking at under education was bridging the gap between what's what happens at early learning to junior to senior to tertiary and then bridging this big gap between graduates and what's required in the job market, if I have that correct dot. Mm. Um, those are sort of one of the burning issues we, we spoke about. Um, the rest of the program is not finalised yet, but we'll make that known as soon as we have it finalised. And I suppose in terms of women's development, we're going to be hearing more about women's development and in, in initiatives to, to grow women in the other half. But um, in terms of women and education, one of the things that happens, I'm sure you both know this, is that women can do terribly well, then they get into tertiary and then they drop out or, or they start off in a particular area of business and they drop out. Is that something that you see might be addressed? Nancy, I think it it goes even back one step further that um, what we're finding, particularly in our communities, is that many of the women are falling pregnant before they complete high Mm. school. So you're already starting to deal with some of those issues at that point um, and trying to help these young women either find ways of being able to study further or actually start their own businesses and become social entrepreneurs. So young, the youth of today are, are a really important focus for us as well. And then, of course, as you say, um, as they go throughout life, either moving into tertiary education or even starting out as a, a new graduate, um, there are things that happen along the way. And yes, we do hope that some solutions can be found beforehand. Social entrepreneurship, it's such a wonderful word and it's such a wonderful thing. And increasingly one would like to see more social entrepreneurs, but it's not just about sort of, ah, shame, you know, you know, handing out and this sort of thing. It needs to be sort of recognised. Um, the theme of the Women's Innovation Trade Fair is the role of social entrepreneurship in women's economic empowerment. It's one of the sort of the, the side issues here to try and encourage more social entrepreneurs, Gwyneth? I think um, what is interesting for me is that Bahani Gingi is all about using social entrepreneurship to solve issues. That it's not just a business going into a community, you're a consultant going into a community and earning a living, but actually making a solid difference in those people's lives. So, so spot the problem and then fix and, it. and help let them be part of solving the issue. And once you leave that community and you go on to your next project, that the community and the person affected by the social issue has what it takes to keep solving their problems. And um, ultimately to create employment in the community as well. You know, just looking, going back to the history of the women's or ideas, trade fairs, it was rather quaintly named, isn't it? Funny how the word idea suddenly seems a little bit old-fashioned when you can call it, talk about innovation. <laughs> but it started way back in the 80s in Sweden, who are known to be quite entrepreneurial. Um, but it's also gone elsewhere in the world. Have either of you or has Mani Gingi or anybody else been to any of the other innovation, women's innovation trade fair, to sort of see how it's worked elsewhere? 
Nancy, we haven't had an opportunity as such, mm. uh, purely because the partnership um, with Sweden has only started recently. Uh, we're fortunate to have the guidance of Karen Land, who has been at most of those events. And we're also fortunate that as a result of the events, there have been several books that were written about how the events were run in the different countries because we found it's also, as much as it's a great concept, there are quite a few things that need to be adapted to the South African context. So we've been able to learn from the different countries and how they adapted it to their respective context. Yeah, because we have very specific issues here. I suppose every country has got its own specific issues. And it's interesting that with these four events that are happening, I think, in in May, August and November, the four events that are still to come, will sort of grow your audience So the Innovation Trade Fair itself will happen where and what will it look like? Um, The Trade Fair will take place from the 6th to the 8th of March at the Cape Town International Convention Centre and there are four components to the Trade Fair. Um, The first component are the seminars and workshops which will be based around the theme of social entrepreneurship and covering the topics we mentioned earlier. Um, Again, the outcomes of the seminars and workshops are to find solutions. Um, The second component is the exhibition and actual trade fair itself, uh, which will be a combination of corporate products and services being offered to women specifically. There's also going to be about 30% of our floor space um, dedicated to small traders, which are some of the projects um, that are part of the Mahani Gingi Networks, but also other NGOs and projects in the Western Cape and nationally. The third are site visits. We thought the best way to show people what it is we'll be, that Mahani Dinghi and the WITF wants to achieve is to show them the actual project. So site visits taking them out to some of the network initiatives. Um, and lastly is our gala dinner, which takes place on the 8th of March, um, which coincides with International Women's Day. And that's going to be a, a celebratory gala awards dinner, um, showcasing exceptional women in all of the respective fields. Um, that is the um, format of the Women's Innovation Trade Fair. Um, on our website, uh, people would like to collaborate and get involved with us. There's opportunities for partnership in terms of sponsorship, booking exhibition floor space, and also obviously um, to attend as a participant and a delegate. Um, we have our sponsorship and funding prospectus already available online, as well as our exhibition floor plan. So we invite people to go and have a look at those. Oh, in fact, you should, um, you know, if you've got a small business or a product or, or a service, you should start thinking about signing up now. You say Western Cape and nationally. It feels like I remember some years ago at the CTICC there was um, there was a Pan African Women's conference or seminar, which was amazing. There were women from all over Africa with all sorts of services and products and exciting ideas and innovations. It, will, it, will it be open to a sort of broader selection? Presumably there'll be a Swedish delegation as well. Well, Nancy, we're fortunate that um, Sweden has come on board not only with South Africa and this partnership, particularly this time around, but we also have um, collaboration with a group in Botswana and a group in Namibia. So we're hoping that they'll be able to participate not only as delegates, but as you mentioned, as small traders as part of the market. And internationally, we're encouraging people to come forward even if they want to participate as a speaker. We're looking for exceptional women. And from the Swedish delegation perspective, we're inviting them to come and see what we're doing here in South Africa. Mm. It's also a good way for us to show um, what what we've already been doing without their assistance and what we've then been able to to do more of. Yeah, wow. Well, it sounds like an opportunity too good to miss, girls. So if you're doing something out there and you think that uh, certainly South Africa needs to see it and hear about it and even the broader broader community needs to hear and see what you're doing if you're a woman, it's going to be at the CTICC and it's going to be alive with the sound of women's voices. Let me give you the details, because if you want to sign up, maybe now is probably a better time than ever. The website is www.witf, that stands for Women's Innovation Trade Fair, .co.za, witf.co.za, and we'll put it up on our Facebook page. If you want to pick up the good old telephone, it's 021-683-5106, Well, it certainly does sound good, and I, I would imagine if you go to that website, Gwyneth, if anybody wants to be part of the the uh, upcoming events between now and then, education, social justice, agriculture, food security, and environmental issues, they can look for those as well, yeah. which are happening respectively in May, 
August and November. I don't expect you to remember all that, but if you've missed anything and you want to get in touch, do it. Contact us otherwise at safm.co.za. There you go, www.witf.co.za. Dr. Van Horn, thank you very much. I bet you get teased about that name again and again. <laughs> Dorothy Van Horn, trustee of Marnie Ginky and Gwyneth Matthews, who's the conference organiser with all the information at her fingertips. Thanks very much and good luck. And I've no doubt that we'll hear a little bit more as the things unfold. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening thank to you. Otherwise. Got uh, all sorts of other women's development initiatives coming up in the other half, so do stay with us. But right now it's. Thanks very much, Asanda. Otherwise, it is Talking Women. And don't forget anything you've missed that you've heard on the show. Do get in touch. Otherwise, at safm.co.za, we'll fill you in with all the details. Well, in a minute, we're going to be hearing the story of a business owner who graduated recently from the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Women Initiative. We're going to be hearing how it affected her, how it grew her, and also how it grew her business. But before that, we're going to be hearing about what Coca-Cola South Africa are up to. They have just expanded their 5 by 20 Women's Economic Empowerment Initiative. We're going to be hearing about that. Plus, as I promised right at the end, hopefully we'll be able to get hold of Sandra Burmeister because she's going to be talking a little bit about why, over the last few years, the gender pay gap has widened even further. And isn't that a little bit disappointing to hear? But first up, we have on the line Vukani Magubani. She is the Public Affairs and Communications Director at Coca-Cola. Hi there, Vukani. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Excellent. Thanks very much for joining us. So the uh, Coca-Cola... Women's Economic Empowerment Initiative is called 5 by 20. Just explain that. Um, 5 by 20 is basically saying that globally the Coca-Cola company is committed to empowering 5 million women across our value chain by 2020. Specifically for South Africa, we are looking to empower 25,000 women across our value chain, women who deal with our franchises, opening up outlets, women who are small-scale farmers, and we're looking at also including women who are wastepreneurs. Oh, wastepreneurs. Yes. In other words, making wonderful things out of Coca-Cola bottles. No, basically <laughs> we've, we're, we're looking into the number of women that are in the recycling chain. Mm. A lot of women are recycling Coca-Cola products as well as other products. So we're looking at including the 5 by 20 project to go across those three spheres of our value chain, both creating outlets. We found that the majority of these outlets created that sell Coca-Cola, as well as other products, cell phone time, milk, bread, sugar, etc., um, are run by women. So we are empowering those women with business skills, access to financing, as well as mentorship. And then we also know that um, a lot of the small-scale farmers, um, sugar farmers in KwaZulu-Natal are women, and obviously um, products, our products do include sugar, and we are looking to empower those women as well. And then again, on the recycling end, we are looking to, as Coca-Cola, to make sure that whatever we put out um, as waste, we collect back. So we're looking at the women who are making a livelihood by equipping them with skills to start their own small businesses in that, in that, in that area as well. Oh, it sounds like lots and lots of opportunity. Five million women by 2020 um, to all your, uh, your customers across the world, and you are pretty much everywhere, I would say. Exactly. I suppose that those five million women, each and every country, each and every community even, will have very different, very specific needs. Have, exactly. have you sort of grouped those different needs? Yeah, for instance, I'll give you an example. In Brazil, we're teaching retailing skills to disadvantaged young women and enabling them to, um, to actually deliver business skills to women-run businesses. Um, in the Philippines, um, the traditional trade is, is operated by women, and we're improving the layout of their stores to drive, you know, sort of shopper traffic. So depending on the market, we're doing different things, but the output is that it's empowering women. As we know that if you, if you educate or you empower women, you empower a whole community. So it's on that premises that we're really pushing 5 by 20 globally across the Coca-Cola system. How, forgive me for asking this, how altruistic is it? Is it for the benefit of the women exclusively, or is there any sort of payback required from them? Do they need to put up a Coca-Cola signage? Do they in some way need to reflect that you have, they have been assisted by your company? Um, specifically, if I will talk about the, uh, the outlet creation. So the outlet creation, that particular aspect of it, um, would be that the women are already selling Coca-Cola in their, in their, in their shops, we would help them in terms of um, a higher turnover rate by giving them the right business skills. 
So you can say, I mean, I think it is a win-win situation in the sense that the women will be doing this anyway. We're just empowering them to, to actually expand their business. And there's an example of um, an outlet that I vis- visited in Rustenburg where that particular retailer was selling maybe one or two cases per week. After she went through the, um, the 5 by 20 project, she had more than doubled her, her, um, her turnover, and she's able to now hire other women a sister with her shop. She's been able to put her son through school. So it's a multiplier effect that I think it's a win-win situation both for the company as well as for the women who are empowered to then um, start their own business mm-hmm. and expand. There's another example of another woman in, in Vanderbilt Park where she had a bakery, but through the training that she got from, from, from the skills training and the business skills training, she was able to um, manage her cash flow a lot better for her to expand her business. And again, for me, the the joy of these stories is that these women are then able to, as women do, to put it back into the family. So she's got a son that she's putting through school, and she's now hopeful about his future because she's got a thriving business. The woman in Rustenburg who doubled her turnover, I'm sure there's no one quick, snappy, short answer here, but what sort of training did she get, and how long did it take that she was able to do that? Um, she was part of that initial 40 women that we did a pilot. Mm. Um, and that pilot, I think, was over a couple of months. Um, and it's basically business skills. I mean, you've got to know in terms of your cash coming in, cash, it's something as simple as that, in terms of that you pay yourself first, you don't. So it's literally stuff that we would take for granted in terms of how do you make sure that you have a thriving business? How do you manage your cash flow? How do you order stock? It's that kind of training that the women get. So basic, and it takes a couple of months? In some instances, yeah. And it's, I think it's over time as well. I said this, we basically piloted this program in 2010. Um, and in terms of it being rolled out as a full-fledged program was from last year, 2011, 2012, sorry. The, the women, how do you identify the women? Do they, you know, do you put out word to say, look, this is what we're doing, come forward? No, there's a lot of these women are already in, 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 in the business of selling. If you go to any township, a spaza shop, more likely than not, is run by women. Mm-hmm. So that's another way that we identify. We have a bottling system in South Africa. They're basically the guys that um, deliver our product and deal with our various customers. Um, so they would know in their particular, let's say, for instance, in, in, in Rustenburg, they will know who, which outlets are there. And what we're basically asking them is to ring fence the women who are actually running their, their shops so that we can give them this added benefit of the um, the training, the skills development, and the mentorship. So it's women who are already, in most instances, you know, selling Coca-Cola, already identified. But then we've also, since we ran a, um, a, a, uh, a media campaign last year, we've had women actually coming and asking to, to be part to of the program. Up, yeah. I can see how it would work with sponsor shops owners. What about farmers? I mean, even, even being a sugar farmer, it's sort of kind of removed from your product, though obviously the connection is there. Agricultural skills? Again, no, no. What we're doing in that space, again, it's, it's, it's trying to see where there's a concentration of women. We were involved with another program or project in KwaZulu-Natal, um, basically empowering small-scale farmers in terms of uh, water management and how they can, you know, create greater yield. And we asked the questions that, you know, the, who, who are these small-scale farmers? And they said, basically, there's 60% women. So we're working in partnership with, um, with um, WWF in terms of identifying could we not overlay a 5 by 20 so that as these women develop co-ops in the sugar as small-scale farmers, we can extend the uh, 5 by 20 skills of business skills training to them. And the, the third category, the wastepreneurs. Again, you mentioned that they, it may be Coca-Cola products that they're recycling or, or, not. or not, but it doesn't have to be. No, not at all, because right now we're basically in partnership with Petco to do some research in terms of identifying who exactly are these people involved in, in, in the recycling sector, and they've indicated, given us early indications that the, ma- the majority of those will be women as well, um, and we're looking at overlaying the 5 by 20 program into that as well. Hmm. So basically the whole issue is to say that women are already doing these things, what may make or not make their business to thrive is having access to finance, is having mentorship, is having business skills training. So if we look through our value chain, we're trying to identify where there could be pockets of women that we can 
uh, boost up in terms of making sure that their, their, their businesses survive. Will you be able to help the women who are making things will you, with their marketing? Because well, that can be the stumbling block, can't it? No, no. What, what, oh, what, what's happened in, in other markets, and we haven't um, fully developed that in South Africa, is that in other markets, they're based, the Coca-Cola system is using products made by women in these various um, you know, different markets to be sold or be given as gifts by the Coke system, again, empowering women in a different way. So we've got a catalog of crafts that are done by women in the Philippines, Uganda, Kenya, etc., um, that we're basically saying if we are to give corporate gifts, why don't we use these gifts that these women are making? Um, again, offering them another va- uh, venue or outlet for their, for their products. So 25,000 women here in South Africa just have to ask you, I mean, I suppose I'm thinking Coca-Cola, it's maybe not the healthiest drink in the world, but, it, you know, certainly you're putting a huge amount back into the community, particularly for women in this instance. But in terms of health, uh, any sort of education that goes along with that, with this training? Yeah, in terms of, you mean in terms of health, in terms of, I mean, I think we will give them training in terms of our, if you look at the ingredients of Coke, we have an array of, of products in South Africa that are available for consumers who are more health conscious in terms of having water project products, products with, uh, you know, no sugar, no caffeine. So it's, it's all part of them understanding what our products are about. In addition to that, um, we also tell them about all the other good things that Coca-Cola does in terms of not only 5x20, but what we're doing around education, around recycling, uh, so that they understand the company in its totality because they are at the end of the day selling our product. Mm-hmm. So 25,000 women. How many women have you got signed up? And if, it, if somebody wants to sign up and get some more training, skilling, can they still do it? I mean, I think I, for now, as I said, it's, it's done through our bottling partners, and they go into these communities and identify where they, they're, they're needing to, to create outlets. So it's not like I can come and just say that I'm living in Soweto and I want to open out an outlet okay. in Coca-Cola. So there is a business you know, particularly on the franchise side, a business case that the, the bottlers outline in their communities where they're looking to, to, to open new outlets. Okay, so that people need, women need to be identified rather than come forward. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Nonetheless, would we be able to find out a little bit more about it on your website? Yes, yes you can. At which is? www.coca-cola.co.za yeah. Coca-Cola with a hyphen? Yes, with a hyphen. www.coca-cola.co.za Yes. Lovely. Well, thank you very much, Rukani. Very best of luck, and may those 25,000 women thrive and survive. Lovely. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Rukani Magobani, she's the, uh, with Coca-Cola. And if you would like to find out a little bit more about it, I don't think it's as easy as just turning up and saying, I would like some of your assistance. Uh, I think you need to be identified. But if you're able to get to a website, or at least um, get to the Internet and find out a little bit more, the website is www.coca-cola.co.za. Well, moving on, moving on to women doing other things. Shireen Crowey is the owner of Curviro Trading. I think that's how you pronounce it. And she recently graduated from Goldman Sachs' 10,000 Women Initiative. So people are doing things in big numbers here for women in South Africa. And her business is all about toilet paper, which is in our Joburg studio to tell us more. Hi there, Shireen. Hi, Nancy. How nice. are you? Um, excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. Nice to hear about what Coca-Cola are doing and now what Goldman Sachs are doing. Um, Curviro, is that the name of your... Uh, yes, it is. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Excellent. So explain to us exactly what your business is all about. Uh, well, I basically manufacture toilet paper and the course. And what I also do, we manufacture body bags and shrouds. And I recycle my waste of my tissue and I make children's paper toys with it. Goodness me, absolutely nothing goes to waste, is it? You're a real waste entrepreneur. Um, how did you get started? Which of the products came first? Um, the Virgin One Ply, the toilet paper. Okay, so when you say you make toilet paper, out of what? Out of um, tissue wadding. I basically buy the jumbo reels from Sappy or any other mall. Is, that a, is that a waste product? No, no. Okay. No, no. Sappy basically produces a triple green product which is um, 60%, the paper is made from 60% sugarcane fiber, and it's chlorine-free. And only 40% wood pulp is used in um, the process of the tissue. 
So I basically buy the jumbo reels in kilograms. We load it on the machine and we manufacture our toilet paper from there. Goodness me. You say also the cords, so those are the sort of little cardboard tubes that yeah. go in the middle. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like a, a great idea. I mean, people need toilet paper, but uh, d- does it require a lot of machinery? Have you got a lot of plant? How, what's your sort of quantities are you producing? In? Uh, we basically manufacture per day close to 6,000 to 8,000 rolls a day. Is that quite a lot? Uh, yeah, for starting business, yes, I think so. And do you make it under other people's names? I mean, you know, would we buy it under, I don't know. No. Some, some, I'm not going to advertise anybody's name. It comes under your name, doesn't under it? Under our name, okay. yes. Okay. So there was the toilet paper and then there were the other products, which were? Uh, the body bags. Okay, so those are when people die. Yes. Are they made out of biodegradable material? Yes. biodegradable. It's actually a disposable product that we supply government with. How did you come to be doing this, Shireen? I mean, it, it doesn't sound like you need any help at all. It sounds like you've got your head very firmly screwed on. How did you discover paper products? You know, Nancy, um, I always say when you're busy studying, you'll do anything else but study. Mm. So what I did in my spare time, just to give myself a breather, I used to go in the Internet and look for um, business opportunities. Mm. And at the beginning, I first wanted to make soap, face soap. But then I came about toilet paper and I did a quite a deep um, research into that. I went to all the different malls, I went to paper manufacturers to see how it works, what is done, how the costing is done and all that. And when I finished, studied, I was still working at the bank at the time. And then I bought a small little machine, a second-hand machine. Um, it cost me like 30,000 rand and I started from there. Wow, I think we're going to set you back. So you were working in a bank, that's where you began, and you were studying what? Business management. Right. And then along came Goldman Sachs with their 10,000 Women Initiative. What, what else could they teach you? You know, when I was studying business management, um, when you study things you, and you're not in that field, you don't really know what it what it's all about. Mm. So when I redone this whole through Goldman Sachs with the production management, the marketing, your sales, you know, all things, it's like a puzzle mm. that fit in together so I could understand the, what I've studied. And it really helped me quite a bit. So were you studying, were you doing that study as well as doing the business at the same time, or were you studying part-time? I was studying part-time. Yeah, so you were quite sort of hands-on. How did it work? Did you have to go through somewhere to study? Was it online? Did you have a mentor? No, no. Um, when I was studying, I did it through UNISA, mm. and I did my degree in business management, and only when I finished my degree, I started my business. But the last um, three years... Um, it actually took me seven years to finish my degree. But the last three years of um, my studies, I actually started the research in manufacturing. Hmm. The the third component of what you're making, aside from the toilet paper and the body bags, and, the, and children's paper, paper toys. toys. Yes. Explain. You know, I actually came up with this idea because I wanted to get rid of my waste. Mm. And normally we sell it to waste companies and they sell it back to the molds and they make more tissue with it. And it's difficult to find a waste company to take your tissue waste. So I, um, I basically just researched and I tested and tested and tested. I got the product right. And what I do, I repulp my tissue waste and I mold it into different characters, you know, um, like a Tweety face or a butterfly or teddy bear. And um, I basically sell that to different preschools, schools. Um, I'm busy with Mike's Kitchen now, where they're interested, because that helps the children's motor skills, um, color coordination. So it's a plain white mold mm-hmm. where children can use water paint, oil paint, or wax crayons. And they can color it in, um, and yeah, that can be used as a fridge magnet or whatever. And what's nice about it, if if you wet it, it becomes like tissue again, so you can flush it down the toilet. Gosh, gosh, I think you've got nothing on the Chinese in terms of innovation. So it must have <laughs> taken you quite some time to come up with that. But when you say you wanted to get rid of your own waste, is that waste from making the loo paper, or is it waste from the body bags? Or? No, no, it's just tissue waste. Yeah. You know, when we run a log on the on the machine, 
you have on your edges on both sides where you need to cut or before you get your SAVS um, approved toilet paper. It must be 110. So what happens, you have the waste on the side. So is that waste that I repulp? So I just remove the piece of core from it and then I um, repulp that tissue back into a pulp and then I mold it. You're very generously giving away all your trade secrets here. I mean, w- w- could anybody just pick up the pieces of what you're doing and echo not, it? No, not, not, really. not really. Have you patented the idea? Uh, no. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay well, maybe you better not say anything too much more ab- about it. But I can't help feeling that the toilet paper business must be massively competitive. I mean, there are all the, all the big boys who've got their big companies who do their no-name brands and then all the other people in between. Um, was marketing something that you learned at Goldman Sachs as well? Oh, yes, definitely. Marketing. You know, I'm not, my background is not marketing and sales. Mm. I, um, although I studied it, but, you know, you have that way you, you got the fear to, to phone somebody and say, listen, can I show you my product, you know? And if somebody says no, mm. you know, you're like, you're like so scared and you're too scared to phone again. But that is something that I overcame in the Goldman Sachs um, program. And doing, you know, when, when we had one of the, the sales experts, Ian Reader, he taught me how to change a cold call into a warm call and how to approach customers. And it became so easy. How to uh, uh, turn a cold call, in, which is knocking on somebody's door saying, can I come and tell you, into a warm call. Can you tell us how? Basically, he says, you know, when you phone somebody, you, you just don't say, listen, I make toilet paper, can I come and see you? You first basically build up like a kind of a small relationship with mm. that person and saying, how are you? Um, my name is Shadeen. And, you know, you, you start the conversation very slowly and um, find out more about what the customer's wants are. And if they have any problems with their with their products, and and especially in your what what you're selling, and then just propose something to them. It seems that you've learned a huge amount. I've no doubt that they'll be taking you on to sort of uh, go and give talks on what you've learned yourself. Where do you go from here? You know, it seems like you in over the last few years you've certainly innovated. Do you plan to grow? What are your development plans? Well, my development plans now. I'm currently busy with my QMS. Um, to get my ISO 9001, um, which will... QMS? Your quality management system in my business. So once that is done, um, I'll do the branding, and um, yes, and then from there we just, I think, just grow. It certainly sounds like there's not much stopping you. Shireen, how many people do you employ? Uh, Currently now I employ um, six people, but as we go along I will employ more. Have you got a large woman team? Most of my staff is women. I've got one male. Okay. Well, it sounds fascinating, and I want to say well done. I think you've been so innovative. Going to give out your website if anybody would like to find out a little bit more about how it all works, and maybe they want to buy some of your. What do you call the little um, children's um, thing? I just ba- basically call it children's paper toys. Great activities for children. Okay. Would you like to know a little bit more about creativity for children, children's paper toys? Contact Shireen, Shireen Crowey. Thank you very much. Well done. Thank you so much, Nancy. And if you'd like to find out a little bit more, her business is called Curviro, or Curviro, that's C-U-R-V-I-R-O. And you can check the website, which is curvirotrading.co.za, curvirotrading.co.za. Next up here on Otherwise, why is the salary gap, the gender salary gap, increasing? Stay tuned. Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Otherwise, it is talking women here on SAFM. Next, our guest is a familiar voice on um, Otherwise. She's Sandra Burmeister. She's CEO of executive search firm Amprop Landolani. And what she's saying is that over the last few years, the bad news is that the gender pay gap has actually widened. There's been a lot of hue and cry about it. Um, Sandra, this is such bad news. Why? Certainly is, Nancy. Um, well, uh, you know, it seems to me from the research that, that the gender pay gap is really the tip of the iceberg, and gender parity um, is the piece that's sort of submerged below the surface. Mm. So overall, I mean, the pay gap globally is, is, is at 18%, so as high as 45 in some of the BRIC countries and as low as um, around 10% in, 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 you know, sort of 8 to 10% in the Nordic countries. And um, it seems that one of the really key contributors to this is education. So we really need to start a lot earlier than 
um, you know, politics and or you know, women in 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 government or women mm. in business. Um, so, if you see, for example, um, in the Nordic countries, um, who, by the way, have the lowest pay gap, they reached 100% literacy for both sexes. Um, and achieve gender parity at primary, secondary, and tertiary level some years ago. So it's all about education because it's not, it's not a matter of women being paid less for doing the same job. They're just not getting the jobs. Well, I think that's part of it. But I think if you look at the whole picture, education, work opportunity, and the gender pay gap are inherently linked. So lack of formal education limits opportunities for women in the workplace, which in turn you know, uh, um, relegates them to, to lower paid jobs. There is, there is certainly a, a, a piece of uh, um, research that shows that men and women in the same role um, uh, there is still a gap there too um, and that's uh, um, I, I think attributed to, to sort of outdated views of, of, of whether women earn at the top or the bottom end of the pay scale which in turn is based on kind of numbers of years of experience I suppose, you know, we just spent practically the whole of the program talking about women's development, and there are any number of initiatives out there growing women. Is that helping? Is that the sort of level that you think we should be starting at, or should we be starting in early childhood development? Should we be starting with little girls at school? I think it's I think we, we need to, you know, it's one of those sort of complex issues which need really a multi-pronged approach at most levels. Um, you know, I mean, there are companies that have done really great work in reducing the gender gap in the workplace. Um, and one of the things that we find um, with companies like that is that they've taken an integrated approach across a range of initiatives. So they look at a very high level of management commitment. Um, they measure their progress continuously. They implement programs to change attitudes and prejudice. So there's a sort of multiple things happening in companies. But you see linked to that is, you know, some fairly outdated um, um, notions that we have, you know, uh, just in society around, um, you know, girl children and whether they they should be studying, you know, maths and science. And, you know, we sort of stream them into, you know, some of the softer issues. And the reality is that 70% of, of, of all business schools, 70% of attendance is still by men. Mm. Sandra, why don't you keep us in touch with the good news? When, <laughs> you know, when, when the gap shrinks or when, you know, you can see a trend that is, is looking, uh, looking a little bit more hopeful for women, do keep us in, in posted because it's really interesting to hear. I know you've got your finger on the pulse very firmly. So do let us know. We look forward to hearing from you again. Wonderful. Thanks, Thanks Nancy. Take Bye. care. Well, there you go. Good news, bad news. Sandra Burmeister, CEO of, uh, of uh, Executive Search Landalani, and talking about the fact that the pay gap just seems to be increasing the gender pay gap. Let us know what you think, otherwise at safm.co.za or pop us your feelings on Facebook where it's otherwise on SAFM. Thanks very much to the team. That's Hazel, my Brazilian Discapers. I'm Nancy Richards. Up next, it's afternoon.